Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss my brother got accused of leaking the England team <laughs> the only way Matt Letitia will ever be your player is if you buy Southampton Football Club and he starts digging me out in training for not running back uh, and I just looked at him and I went Carl you haven't been here very long have you I said what happens here is <laughs> is the players that can play <laughs> They play, and your job is to go and fetch the ball and give it to me. <laughs> I used to go in there before, before we came on a Saturday and back myself to score the first goal. Uh, he was in charge for 66 games. I missed one through injury, one through suspension, and in those 64 games, I scored 45 goals. I'm watching him in training, and I'm thinking, has he won a competition to come and train with us or something? Like, he was crap, honestly. <laughs> Growing up, this bloke was my hero. And, uh, and there I am on the training ground telling him to fuck off. <laughs> my happiness is, is what I put above... Money and, and trophies, basically. Uh, and that's why I stayed where I did. Gentlemen, are we fresh? Fresh no. from Wembley at the weekend? I think I'm fresher than you two. Yeah. But I only did Sunday, didn't I? You did the Saturday, Sunday. Adopted Mac and Friday, Mar- Saturday. Saturday. Friday, Saturday, Saturday even, yeah. yeah. I enjoyed it. The uh, Trafalgar Square and everything before. That's where you went down Friday, didn't we? Yeah. And uh, they, they certainly know how to enjoy themselves. Tell you what, you're not far off. Getting a uh, keys to the city, you up there? <laughs> Telling you, <laughs> hey, I, I, I don't know if I was Baldy from under the cosh or Tom Cruise. <laughs> Baldy, Baldy, where's Baldy? Well, you just got the curly finger from me, and you could say the curly finger. Honestly, you, must, you must have been like a peacock when you got home. I was down straight to bed when I got home. I will tell you that much. Uh, and it raised for a good few hours, but no, it was uh, a bloody it? good day. Got a, a new song anyway. Da, 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 barred from a library. <laughs> <laughs> if anyone not seen the videos on YouTube now, obviously we, we covered uh, we did a vlog for the whole day, but you, you, I did feel like a bit of a twat. Like it was probably the, one of the biggest arseholes things yeah. ever done by us. But there's the, the, there is a library at Wembley, and when these opportunities arise, to be fair, I were I, I were I were actually in there. I never seen it, and to see the video because I was still talking to security. He was, still wo- he was still wondering why I wanted to get into a library <laughs> with a Cornish pasty in my hand. But he, he, stopped, he tried stopping us getting in. And I said, I'm bringing my books back, mate. And he went, oh, go on. He said, bring your books back from Sunderland, are you? We had two, shirt. I had two Sunderland shirts on. <laughs> oh, go on. I, I think, think it's all fault then. Muttered to himself, bloody disgraceful. <laughs> As we walked past Security guard's own fault, really, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. We had fun, didn't we? And Sunderland got promoted. It was deafening after your song. library. I know. And Sunderland won. I'm sorry. Yeah, Sunderland great won. Result one, it was a good. Yeah. 
Wickham did well. I mean, the Wickham fans were brilliant as well. Yeah, they were. Tried to a few, and uh, yeah, good old day. Hey, season finished yesterday. It were dramatic, wasn't it? Oh, not half. I didn't know what game to watch. Yeah, I was flicking. I didn't watch any, to be honest. Well, Rose's Liverpool fans, she had her head in her hands. Like gutted. I said, but you've got League Cup, FA Cup, you've got Champions League final next week. Try try 10th in League One. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's one of them. Try the like, Championship, Rose. <laughs> uh, they were 14 points off it, weren't they, at Christmas or summer? But the way the day went, where it was so close, yeah. it felt like the dar fucked it, but... Thing is, it was so. It was like I was seeing this. I didn't watch any of it, but I seen the scores, and it were like Sod's Law. When as soon as City went three to up, Liverpool were going to score. Yeah. And it were literally within two minutes or something, wasn't it? I tell you, and I don't want him to, but he's starting to annoy us. Jesse, Lingard, no March. Oh. Is he? Mm, Why? Just he's. Have you seen his thing? His speech in the changing room after. Yeah. I've, well, Mike were telling me about it on the way down. I've it's not just seen a it. Bit, he's just starting to do me tits in a bit. Well, get, get him out, Bielsa back in. Yeah. What are your thoughts, Matty? Yeah, are you with us? <laughs> Take a seat. <laughs> I think he's going to be like Graham Wesley. You know, showing videos and that. Yeah. He showed a Gandhi video, and he showed a video of them scoring last-minute goals. I think he's going to show the geese next in the formation. Yeah. Bye. Thanks, man. <laughs> Great but contribution, he, Matty. He four, somehow, four years in. He somehow <laughs> makes a big thing about... Not making about himself, but making about himself in the process by saying, "I don't, I don't want to hear them out singing my name out there." Sing my name. <laughs> yeah, and so loads of people are like we weren't going to sing your name. We've, uh, <laughs> we've, we've, we've seen through you, Jesse. But the he he could be like up. Coach Coach Carter on. Yeah, I quite like that. I like that. He, he kept them up, didn't he? Yeah, he's done the his job. Skin of the, t- I suppose he has. Yeah, yeah. and Did I want to like him as well. That's the worst thing. Why? I'm trying, I, d- I don't know. Did you see like nice um, the colour drain from Mo Salah's face when he, he he thought he'd scored the winner to give Liverpool the title and then he re- went over to the crowd and obviously the re- the message was relayed from the crowd that City are winning 3-2. <laughs> I'll tell you what I have seen. Somehow the Wolves fans made it out as it were free all. Yeah. And everyone starts cheering and that. Oh, was it the Wolves fans? Yeah. That? yeah. I, it must have was some, I'd yeah. like to think it wasn't a Liverpool fan. <laughs> oh, yeah. That is a sick joke. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> an Evertonian in crowd and thought, fuck it, I'll start it off. Because there was one bloke, weren't they, when Salah was celebrating with all the players, there was one bloke just going, <laughs> no, shaking his head, over. waving them back the halfway line. Like, <laughs> To be fair, man, when it went 2-0 Villa, you're like, whoa. Here we yeah. go. Oh, dear. 15 minutes left. But, uh, oh, we've got a message from uh, Splitch, by the way. They're sponsoring this week's episode. This is good gear, this, man. Yeah, it very is. good. So it's basically, it's like, it's like, because... I, I do fantasy football me at the start of every season, and then Snap. by week four, I lost interest. interest. Yeah, and but with split, you pick your team. It's it's a weekly game, so you pick your team each week. Whether that's the Premier League games, you can do the German League, you can do whichever, and you can put your money on. So you like you're betting on your on your fantasy football right. team for that for that week. So you're getting all the points again. There's your your bonus points for your captain and everything, and then you can you can win a few quid. That's good. I'm same as you. Like, as soon as like week two, week three, I forgot to put a couple of. I've got, I've got four injured on all playing. Yeah. And you're like, oh, oh, yeah, I can't be asked. Yeah, yeah. But if there's money involved, let's oh, you yeah. But it's weekly, isn't it? So you can change. You yeah. can pick a different team every oh, week. Oh, yeah. You're not picking a, a, a team for the season. It's each week you pick right. a new team so for So it's always for that fresh. Yeah. So it's more interesting because you, 
you can actually study the games, can't you? Who's going to be playing against yeah. who? Yeah. So it's available at the minute in the UK, Germany, Austria, and Brazil for all all our Brazilian listeners. <laughs> you can get involved. Speaking of Brazilians, I've had one this morning. melody. That is, I've, I just woke up when you sent us that picture. I sent, I sent him a picture of me, uh, old man. Well, my old man covered in beat. <laughs> <laughs> Lovely. <laughs> I'm not, putting, I'm not putting the group, but if you want me to, I can. <laughs> but yeah, you can battle, battle it out with your mates as well. You can get private groups going, but you can compete for the for, for the money as well. There's up to seventy grand to be won each week. By the way, it's not just we're not just talking pocket change; it's life change. Good one to win. That's what we're all about. That's what we're all about, and it's obviously it's eighteen plus because because uh, there's gamble involved. BeGambleAware.org, and you can download it for free now and have a little play ready for the start of next season. The links in the description. Get yourself involved. Again, you've got to be 18 or over. BeGambleAware.org. Well, that's my uh, holiday reading sorted anyway. The Brazilian. The Brazilian Premier League, whatever it's called. Matt Letizia this week. Yeah. yeah. Lovely guy. Yeah, right. really. I, 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 like, you know, like we're, everything that's going off, we want yeah. all that. Put it to one side. Because we do talk about it a little bit at the end as well, don't we? Yeah. And, and I think it just how he's been cast aside. You know, there are his views, whatever his views are, whether you agree with him or not, it's not hurting anybody. Yeah. He's not an alien, opinion. is he? Let's be honest, he's not an alien. Lovely fella. We've never met him before. Invited us into his house. Yeah. yeah. I don't think people should be ostracised for the views if they're not if they're not hurting anybody. Yeah. Personally, but yeah, oh, some great stories. Yeah. Cockerel as well. That's the first time we've had a cockerel. Mm. Yeah, we've had parrots. We've had parrots. We've had dogs. Cockerel. Our first cockerel. <laughs> <laughs> Been a few cocks at the table, but yourself included, by the way. But uh, if you're not involved with the Patreon as well, we've got we've got a lot of bonus content coming. A lot of bo- you like end of the maybe. season. Uh, so that holiday that listening. In the description oh, as well. Yeah, tell you what, there might be a few sign up. You know, for the holidays. Yeah. Imagine like you got Mrs. kids, and you're like, oh, Dad, come and get in pool, and can you throw this ball? And yeah. No. I'm on Crossley too. I, I, I'm on Carlton Palmer here, love. Come play with somebody else's dad. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, uh, should we get him in then? Yep. That right that you've never drunk a pint of lager? I never. Is it the taste or S- smelling? I wish I'd never. I'm <laughs> I wish I'd never. Oh, was that the first question? Have we started it? <laughs> I'd like, I like the taste of it though. I just, yeah, I do. Peer pressure. Not as harsh as vodka. Or gin. I think that's the reason I've got this, this gut though. I think that's the, the how problem. Do, how do I get mine? <laughs> Must have been coke. Full fat coke. coke. Full fat coke for sure. <laughs> What's your tipple then? Malibu and Coke. I wasn't joking before when I said that. <laughs> <laughs> Malibu and Coke. <laughs> don't, don't ask. I, I just, from an early age, I, I'd never really liked the taste of alcohol. So, like the smell of beer and wine, I just found it like, oh, it smells horrible. I ain't trying that. Uh, and then my brother um, said, Oh, if you don't like that, try this. I, I've always drank Coke since I was little. And um, it was just put some of this rum in it. I went, Oh, that's nice. 
I can drink that. It tastes, <laughs> it tastes like pop. <laughs> so, uh, so I started drinking Malibu and Coke when I was about 18 and I've never stopped. Yeah. <laughs> that must have been one of you all on your team nights out. Can I get 15 pints of lager and, and a Malibu and Coke? Absolutely. <laughs> I tell you what, you've got, to have, you've got to be very mentally strong to be able to do that in a football change room, as you know. <laughs> Were you, never, were you never one of the big drinkers in the, no. in, in the dressing no. room? I, did, I, I barely drank at all until I was uh, about 28, until I got divorced, funny enough, as I started drinking. <laughs> um, but, I, yeah, for the first 10 years of my career, I probably drank a couple of times a year. That was it, yeah. Did you still go out with the lads, though, just...? Uh, not loads. I, I did, uh, Christmas parties and all that kind of stuff, and occasionally, yeah, not, not very much. Yeah, I wasn't much of a... I was married at 21 and my first kid at 23. So I didn't really go out very much. And then when I got divorced. Man about town. Uh, for a few years, at the back end of my career I was, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Probably coincided with a lot of the injuries that I had. <laughs> I wasn't looking after my body particularly well at that stage. Um, yeah, I, I never did that as a kid. You know, even from like 17, 18, I barely, barely went out. Uh, and then towards the back end of my career, kind of like, hmm. Yeah, I'm injured this weekend. Might just go out instead. <laughs> Got to get out of your system at some point. Don't you? You, you do, you do. So uh, yeah, the last last few years of my career was a bit more out well, and about. We had Bez on, and he said when he signed down there, he got a bad injury, and he, he did for eight months. He was living with David Hurst, and he just enjoyed himself probably for the first time in his career. Yeah, no, absolutely. I remember that. I used to go out with him quite a bit. That coincided at the time with back end of my career. Yeah, he drank Malibu and Coke as well, you know. Did he? <laughs> he kept that quiet. Check this out. <laughs> so what about this? this is, <laughs> you'll love this. Um, one, of the, one of my other things in life, I like country music, right? Uh, and Shania Twain was one of my favourites. So I've been to watch her in concert a couple of times and then she was doing a concert in Sheffield. So I was like, I oh, fancy going to watch that. So I was, I was single at the time. But I bought two tickets. I thought someone would come with me. So uh, gets closer to the, the day of the concert and everyone's like, go with you to watch that. <laughs> what are you about? So, uh, so I rang Bez, knowing that he was already up there. Bez, I said, uh, we fancy going to a concert. It's in Sheffield. I said, I'm coming up. He went, yeah, yeah, no problem. Who is it? So I went, Shania Twain. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'll come. I'll come. <laughs> so anyway, I rock up there like quite early on the day. And we go, uh, we go to a pub just around the corner from from where the uh, concert was happening. So, uh, so the barman goes, or the, the lady behind the bar, she went, uh, oh, hello, hello, gentlemen. She said, uh, how can I help you? What are you doing here? So I said, uh, uh, well, actually, we're going to watch an Twain in concert. <laughs> she went, what can I get you to drink? I went, two Malibu and Coke. <laughs> she must have thought. Aye, aye. <laughs> I'm sure I recognise these two guys. I'm, so I'm sure I've just seen Matt Letizia and John Barrisford in a couple of Stetsons drinking Malibu and Cooks. Well, Should I entwine? With the leather jacket with the tassels coming off. I'm surprised Bears never mentioned that. Do you think he's missed out? <laughs> Is that right that you were Javi's idol? Yeah, apparently so. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was that back in 2010. Just before the World Cup 2010, he came out and did a did an interview and mentioned that in his interview. I was like, "That's not bad, not bad." A little uh, recommendation from a former player or from a fellow player. So yeah, that was yeah, that was pretty cool. Should have got a T-shirt made. What? Xavi on the front and Shania on the back. Xavi <laughs> <laughs> loves me. I love Shania. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, it was, a, it was a nice quote he, he put. He, he said something like, um, uh, it was unbelievable. He used to dribble around seven or eight players with no speed. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I think there's a compliment in there somewhere. <laughs> Take it for what it was. Yeah, that was a pretty. That was pretty nice of him to say that. I'd be dining out on that for the rest of my life. I yeah, think. yeah. Oh, would I? <laughs> Funny <laughs> enough, actually, when I when I when it came out, I was actually in Spain. I remember it um, where we were. We were in uh, La Manga at the Footballers Golf Classic, um, and we were on the we were on the coach going to the hotel in La Manga. There was about. 30 of us ex-players, ex-managers. Uh, and one of them on there was my ex-manager, Chris Nicol. He was on the golf trip and he was sat on the coach. And uh, Chris has given me my debut um, at 17. But I, but for the next like two or three years, he never really played me loads. He just like played me a couple of games and dropped me. I'd be sub for like 10 games in a row. <clears throat> and um, and so when this article came out, it was in, the, it was in one of the, the English newspapers that we had on, on the bus. And somebody went, oh, Tiz, have you seen what? Chavi said about you. Show me this. I was like, oh, brilliant. So I took the I took the newspaper article and I walked down the front of the bus where Chris Nickel was sat. I just put it in front of him and I went, now he knows what a fucking player is. He wouldn't have left me on the bench for three years. <laughs> do you think you were just doing that just to sort of bed you in though? Or? I, I, I do. I understand why he was doing it. It's frustrating, obviously, because you want to play every game. Um, but I was, I was a kid and I wasn't, physically, I wasn't, really ready for that kind of football every week because there's a I don't know if you've seen if you've seen pictures of me as an 18 year old but I was like that um and uh physically I couldn't really look after myself very much so I you I used to have to rely on Jimmy Case to look after me <laughs> I think if somebody would start kicking the shit out of me I'd just go Jim you can have a word with really. <laughs> it was a word and, it, and yeah he was very good he was like our minder in the team Jim it was uh, as a as a young kid to have somebody of his experience in the team looking out for you. Um, it was pretty cool. Was it just time then that either your development or did you hit the gym? Did they get you on a strength thing or um, you know, when you said you no, weren't physically? Just, yeah, it was just time really. I was just so I was so skinny. I just wasn't strong, and he, and I also um, I probably wasn't the fittest player in the world. So um, in terms of like my my physical fitness in like pre-season and stuff, I was shit. Like the all the long distance running, all that stuff. And was it on your case as well? Very good. So not interested in. I hated it. Yeah, absolutely hated it. Um, and I just I don't know. It was a, it was just a, a mentality thing. If you put a football in front of me, I train all day, and and I'll run all day as long as I've got a ball there. But you take the ball away, and something in my head just goes, Nah, not interested. Uh, you relate to that, John? <laughs> Very much so. I think it's actually a physical thing. It's only, I were all right for 60 yards. All over that, my thighs just started burning whatever burning. pace I were going at. thing is, the back end of our career as well, I mean, it took them so long, but they used to bring a ball into pre-season. You'd run constantly, but you were dribbling a ball. So you're doing the same thing, just with a ball. And the lads seem to enjoy it more. Yeah, it is. It's just a, it's a, it's a mentality thing. It's um, like in our day. I mean, the pre seasons were brutal. You know, in the in the mid eighties, late eighties, they actually sent us uh, a few times. They just took us to an army training camp, and for two weeks, the coaches at Southampton did nothing. They literally went to the PTIs at the army camp, get them fit, 
and let the PTIs just do what they wanted with it. I remember once we have these 400 meter races in teams of four or five of us, but on our shoulder, a big fuck off tree trunk. <laughs> like this. And we're, we've got these tree trunks between the five of us having 400 meter races with a fucking tree trunk. <laughs> Is that relevant to what we're trying to do? We're coming down here on a Saturday that, won't it? I'd be like that, yeah. Or we play with a fucking tree trunk Saturday. Yeah, that's exactly what I was like. <laughs> <laughs> it was just some of the stuff you look back and you go, what, what were they thinking? You, you think know? it was a, a, a mentality thing back then, though? Well, toughen them up. It was, it was definitely a toughening up thing. It was a mental, mental toughness mental that tough. they were instilling you, probably more than the, the physical side. Um, but yeah, I didn't, I, I didn't enjoy that. Didn't enjoy that at all. Were they always on your case to get fitter and stuff as well? Yeah, um, they were. Um, some more than others. Uh, I'd say I, once I got to about 21, 22, and I was in a bit better shape and uh, a bit more able to look after myself, I, my fitness levels were, were pretty good then. Uh, and I think I got labelled early on as struggling for fitness. That's why Chris Nickel wouldn't play me for 90 minutes. So I wasn't fit enough. So I, that got labelled early on. But from the age of like 21 to the age of 27, 28, I, I was, I could play every week. I could play Saturday, Wednesday, Saturday, Wednesday, easy. Um, and But because I got labelled early on in my career, it kind of just you. stuck with me. Um, and yeah, there's not a lot you can do about it. Uh, Where did the first come from? Where did the first come from? Was it the press? Well, it probably came from Chris Nickel first of all. He <laughs> gave it to the press in a completely, yeah, in a completely innocent way because I don't think Chris was malicious mm. in any way, shape, or form. Um, but he would have been asked, you know, why, why is why are you not playing Matt this year? Why is he always sub? And he would have just gone, well, you know, he's not quite fit enough. And fit probably wasn't the right word he should have used. Uh, he probably should have used he's not quite developed enough. Yeah, physically. <laughs> To, to cope with that every week but he didn't he kind of went and said oh, he's not he's not fit enough um and so that kind of that kind of stuck with me throughout my career and and it was kind of one of the things that was thrown against me um as to why I, I didn't play more for England was because everyone just assumed that I wasn't very fit but between those ages I was as fit as all the other players I just couldn't do everything I could do everything that they were doing in pre-season I might have just done it a little bit slower because I was never, the, I was never like really quick. I had a bit of pace early on, but I think as I got older and I got stronger, I obviously lost a little bit of pace, uh, and so that was kind of always an accusation that was thrown at me that you know, you're not fit and you're fat and slow and whatever. Yeah, I got that thrown at me, but it probably were warranted. <laughs> well, I mean, both of you look at your games record. You didn't miss, you didn't miss many games either. You know, so it wasn't that you were unfit and it was costing yeah, you. I mean, yeah. you both played. The first, the first 10 years of my career, well, yeah, I, I probably missed a handful of games. I mean, the last few years, last three years, probably uh, I missed quite a lot of games. But yeah, for, through the, through my peak years, I didn't miss many games. Thing is, so if I'm a manager, I'm not bothered if you run 20k or 5k. You score two goals a game. Exactly. I'm more than happy for that. Exactly. Let the, let the fucking Springer Spaniels run about who can't play. Exactly. Water right. carriers. <laughs> They've been a bit harsh, I think, the water carriers, but let the runners run and the players play. Were you criticised for you, like the nutritional side as well, looking after yourself in that, that sense? Yeah, I wasn't I wasn't very good with that. Um, I'll hold me hand up. My diet was absolutely shocking. 
Um, I I did rely on my natural ability uh, to get me through a lot of the time. Um, I wasn't really aware. I say aware. Um, basically, we used to get weighed on a Monday and a Friday every week, and as long as you were your weight was you know somewhere around where it should be, nobody minded. Uh, but back in those days, nobody really cared about your body mass index. Yeah, they didn't care how your thirteen stone was made up. <laughs> it's just whether you were thirteen stone. <laughs> you could have a ninety-six percent body mass index, but if you weighed thirteen stone, they didn't give a shit. <laughs> and you know things have changed a little bit now. So I used to, so I used to do things like um, so we used to play. We play on a Saturday, right? And so after a game on a Saturday, I'm fucking starving. Right? I'm spent after a game on a Saturday. So Saturday night. I'm just like, woof, everything, fish and chips, a lot, all, all wrong, wrong shit. And, uh, and, but to counter that on a Sunday night, because obviously I knew I'm getting weighed Monday morning, <laughs> on a Sunday night I go and play tennis with my neighbour for an hour and a half, and then after tennis I sit in the sauna for 20 minutes. <laughs> getting on Monday morning, jobs are good. <laughs> Don't matter, you're like, <laughs> Couldn't run around in training on a Monday because I'm spent. <laughs> they must have been good fish and chips then. They were good fish and chips. <laughs> I found some good fish and chip shops around this city. In the so, so yeah, the, the nutrition that was that was one of my weaknesses. I didn't I didn't eat like an athlete should eat, but I never considered myself an athlete. And I think that was the that was yeah. the biggest problem. I always considered myself a footballer, not an athlete. And because I knew I had a, a enough ability to be able to get by. I I just ate what I wanted, basically. Do you think if you'd have not been as talented, it would have gone down that way? Or do you think no. you might have had to think, I'll tell you what, I need yeah. to... That would have changed. Shit yeah, that would have... <clears throat> I would have done, because I, I wanted to be a footballer so badly, I would have done whatever it took to be a footballer. And so if I didn't have the ability and it needed something different to be a footballer, then I would have done that, and that's why people ask me today. Well, you know, would you survive in today's game? Would you? Would you? You know, would a player like you survive in today's game? Would you be able to play like you used to be able to play? And I'd say, well, the demands are different in today's game, so I would have had to have done things differently to have been a footballer. But I can assure you, I would have done it. Yeah, because I wanted to be a footballer that badly. I would have done whatever it needed to be a footballer. Um, but because I had a lot of natural ability i didn't have to i didn't have to do too much of the other stuff to play in the first division in the premier league speak about a lot about lads who who like the they're on their own set thing you know i was on about stevie howard and managers have tried to change them and do this and do that but it's affected the game they're not the same mm. not the same mm. player they just get comfortable <laughs> yeah doing what they do eat what they want yeah and the chores on the pitch. And yeah, and there's a lot to be said for that. I think there's a there's a balance to be had. Um, you know, I think if you're if you're actually trying to improve somebody by making them do stuff that they hate, it's not it's not gonna work. It's not gonna work. It's gonna it, I think if you're if you're happy in your life outside of football as well, uh, and you're content and you're doing the stuff that you feel makes you comfortable, because everyone's different. And and that's one of the things I really objected to in the late 90s, kind of ni- about 96, 97. Uh, up until that point, the first 10 or 11 years of my career, um, you when you got to the, the game on a Saturday, you warmed up 
how you wanted to. You prepared for the game in a way that you felt was best for you. And in the in the mid to late nineties, they they brought in a fitness fitness guy um, at the club, and then all of a sudden he wanted to take the warm ups before games, and uh, and that meant everybody warm up together doing exactly the same warm up, uh, and I was the only one who kind of went, I don't want to do that. That's not that's not how I prepare for a game. I've prepared for a game for the last eleven years, scored nearly two hundred goals preparing that way. I said, now you're telling me I've got to warm up with everyone else. That's not that's not what makes me feel good. And he was doing this warm-up. And honestly, at the end of it, I was fucked. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I'm not ready to play a game now. I just need to be sat in the change room nice and calm, a few stretches, walk out, I'll have a, look, I'll have a few shots from the edge of the box, uh, and that do me, and then I'm ready to go. The, the long warm-ups were a waste of energy that I, you know, I could have needed in that last 10 minutes of the game. So I rebelled against the... Team warm up. I used to fuck off. <laughs> Did you used to stay in the changing room and just go out when you wanted and just yeah. keep the same thing? Yeah. Tell you what, by the Head way, strong. it's a good job you didn't like lager and beer because you'd have been a bit to play tennis for fucking five hours on a Sunday, wouldn't you? You had 12 pints and then fucking fish and chips. <laughs> you speak like you know from experience. Then, very, much so, very much so. Very much so. How was it playing under Branford? Um, that was probably the, the least enjoyable couple of years of my career um uh, i've got nothing against ian decent bloke um but we just completely disagreed on how we thought football should be played um it was very much a route one stick the ball in the channels we'll get some corners and throw-ins uh, and we'll win a game on set pieces um and i didn't i didn't like that at all so we <laughs> we used to have these these kind of battles really where um, he didn't really want me in the team because I didn't work hard enough for him. Uh, but the fans wanted me in the team, so <laughs> so it was it was always like a tug of war. And he he wanted to not pick me, but he knew if he didn't pick me, he was going to get slaughtered. Um, you know, and one one of the times where he did drop me, uh, <clears throat> I think he dropped me for five games. Uh, in those five games, we went out of the League Cup over two legs against Shrewsbury. Uh, and I think we drew one and lost the other two. Uh, and so after five games, he was almost forced to bring me back into the team. Um, he was sat on the what, bench like that? No, it wasn't even sat on the bench. That? No, no, no not on the sub? bench. No, so he wouldn't put me a sub. That's the thing. He wouldn't put me a sub because he knew that the fans in the stadium from minute one would have been going, get him on, get him on. Yeah. And start singing my name. So he wouldn't even put me a sub. <laughs> so he dropped me completely out the squad for five games. Not even so not sat even the stand a bit so, smug. So I was sat, <laughs> sat in the stand. Uh, and then he brought me back. Uh, we played against Newcastle. And it was live on Sky uh, in 93-94 season. And that was the game where I scored those two. Uh, the, the flick over a couple of defenders and rolled it in the corner. Yeah. And then the, the flick off the thigh and volleyed it in the top corner. We want 2-1. And that was the, the game. And in that game, after about an hour, I hadn't really, I hadn't seen much of the ball. Um, and the guy who had been playing in my place was warming up, <laughs> right? And uh, I, I, didn't, I didn't see him at, at this stage. I only saw it when I looked it back on the telly. <clears throat> so the guy, Paul Moody, was the guy's name. Uh, he'd been playing in my place. And um, when I scored the goal, 
the camera pans uh, to Ian Bramford on the bench. And he, he's, he hasn't even got a smile on his face, right? <laughs> and all you see is him looking at Paul Moody, who's just been warming up, ready to come on. And he just goes, sit down, Moods. <laughs> <laughs> and that was it. Sit down. Now, now, I don't know if he was bringing me off at that point, but there's a very good chance it was going to be me. <laughs> um, so uh, that, that moment was a massive, pivotal moment in my career. Because I'd kind of had two years of Bramford not really fancying me in the team. We weren't a very good team. We were struggling a bit. Um, and then all of a sudden I scored those two goals and everything Changes. flips. Everything flips. If we go to Aston Villa the following week, I scored two. We win 2-1 there as well. Uh, we go to Anfield. Uh, we lose 4-2, but I scored two crackers at Anfield. Um, and then... About four or five weeks after that, I mean, he's under pressure for his job now. Every, the fans are protesting at every home game. They hate him and they want him out. And in the beginning of December, that, that Newcastle game is the end of October, beginning of December, he does the thing he thinks will give him a bit longer in his job to try and save his job. And he makes me the captain. Oh. Yeah. How about that? In the space of That's six weeks, I've gone from around. not even being in the 14. <laughs> To what? being captain of the team, walking the team out at Everton. And how's your relationship? Like during that five games, are you are you a headstrong young guy? Are you knocking on his door? No, or... I wasn't that kind of bloke. No, no, I, I didn't feel I needed to because I knew God, the pressure that he was under, him. and I've got the pretty much the whole of the stadium wanting yeah. me to be in the team. So I didn't need to go and cause trouble, and that well, it's not in my nature. So I didn't, I didn't really, and I have, I have always had respect for my managers. Mm. Apart from one who who I called a bit of a twat, told him to fuck off. <laughs> uh, we'll talk about that later. Which, which was interesting, actually, because growing up, this bloke was my hero. And, and there I am on the training ground telling him to fuck off. <laughs> I was like, this is such a weird life I'm leading here. What's going on? Never meet your heroes, but never tell him yeah. to fuck off. <laughs> but is the relationship strained a little bit from that five games? You know when he's handing you that, that captain's armband is... is is it you know, on his face? Weirdly, it, it wasn't strange. It, it wasn't because I wasn't because I wasn't wanting to kick up a fuss. We never fell out, so we did. And and he'd always he'd always. I mean, he didn't probably speak to me very much during that time when I was out of the team. He just basically ignore you. Um, but when I got back in the team and I started scoring all the goals, um, and, and then he makes me captain. Uh, I must admit, it was I, I did feel a smugness. That's the often fucking gives it his yeah. time. Yeah. Yeah. I'd have it on in the chimney. <laughs> so that was at the beginning of December, and uh, beginning of January, he lost his job, uh, and we got a new manager, uh, and Alan Ball came in, and we got the on. rest of my uh, uh, career is is kind of completely flipped from that from that moment because Alan Ball came in and it was just all of a sudden I had a manager there who actually thought I was a good player and wanted to build the team around me and, and did basically put 10 players in a shape in a team uh, and put me in the middle and just went, don't want, you to, don't want you to, this is what he told me. He said, right, so he put all the players in the team. We played three at the back. We had four in midfield. We had two up front. And then he got me and he went, right, that gap between the forwards and the midfield, he said, go and stand in there. He said, I'm going to tell every one of them lot around you the first thing they do when they get the ball is they look to pass to you 
Now, bear in mind, we're bottom of the league at this point and we're shit, right? We're in serious trouble. And he said to the other lads, he went, look, this is your best player. He said, this is your best chance of getting out of relegation. Whenever you get the ball, first thing I want to do is try and pass to him. He said, and you, he said, all I want from you, he said, I know you're shit at defending. He said, so I don't want you doing that. He said, but all I need from you is when we are defending, you put yourself in a position where when we do win the ball back, you can receive it. He said, that's all I ask of you. And that's what he did. And in the next 18 months, uh, he was in charge for 66 games. I missed one through injury, one through suspension. And in those 64 games, I scored 45 goals. That's what I want. And set up a few more as well. And we stayed up that season on the last day of the season. We drew three all at West Ham uh, on the last day of the season. Uh, I scored a free kick, a penalty, and I set up the other goal. (laughs) (laughs) As nice as that is, did you feel the pressure? No. That that was was the weird thing. Um, Because when we got given the penalty, I think we were losing... I think we were losing 2-1 when I got the penalty. Um, And it was really odd because... Given the situation that we were in, this is a, is a high-pressure penalty. But I, f- I just felt incredibly calm. Um, and I think because I had a lot of uh, belief in my ability and I knew I was quite good at penalties um, and I didn't really feel nervous or anything, it probably helped as well that the Saints fans that day were behind the goal that, that I was kicking towards. Yeah. Um, uh, and I didn't, really feel, I didn't really feel that pressure. Um, but it, it felt after that game was was amazing um, because we were for so long that season we looked like we were getting relegated. I mean, we we had a shocker. Even over Easter, we had two really bad home results against Man City on Easter Saturday and I think Oldham on the Monday, or it might have been the other way around. Two home games against two teams who were fighting relegation like we were, uh, and we lost both of them, mm-hmm. which was just like we just thought we win those two games were. We're home and host. We lost them both. We were in deep shit. So we ended up going to Norwich uh, and we won a game, which I think has only happened once since, where we went behind in the game three times and we came back and won 5-4. And I think it's only ever happened one other time in Premier League history. And that result was the one kind of that that gave us the momentum to, to stay up. And we, we did the three-all draw at West Ham on the last day. 45 goals in 60... All games. You're 150 million quid, aren't you? Mm. Now, in that, in that kind of form... You're 150 million pound player. Yeah, now, I mean, that. yeah, those, those, those two years, the, mm. the, that season and the season after with Borley. So I, uh, I'd already scored a few under Bramford, um, but I ended up with 25 league goals that season in 93-94. In and then the following season, I ended up scoring 30. They had 20 league goals and 10 in the cup the following season I wasn't even playing as a centre forward and I still couldn't get any, I still couldn't get in the England team <laughs> in fact I couldn't get the England squad at the end of that 94-95 season Terry Venables had dropped me from the squad and I got 30 goals that season must have been pulling your hair out with that then eh? that was frustrating yeah um, but it was a definite it was a definite bias towards players who weren't playing at, at one of the big clubs because if I'd have been scoring that volume of goals playing for Man United or playing for Liverpool or whatever, I would 100% been in the England squad. Yeah. You know, to put it in perspective, I mean, there's no disrespect to Tom Cleverley, but he got five more caps than you. You know, and a good Premier League player, but you see, you look at that goal record, 
Yeah, I mean, that's, I don't. Um, I'm I'm still very proud of of the eight England caps I got. It was what I wanted to do since I was a kid was to play for England. It was just so to do it even once was amazing. Um, it would have been nice to have been given a few more chances because I only started three games in those eight years. So the other five were, were all subs appearances. Um, <laughs> and one of those starts only lasted 27 minutes because I, I played in Dublin when the crowd crowd trouble, they abandoned the game after 27 minutes. Um, and so my two other starts for England were 1994 and 1997. So I had two starts really that were three years apart and that was it. So really have a chance to establish an international mm. career at that. So. You know, normally they get in a squad and they have a bit of a run on them. <clears throat> they get to give them a chance, four or five games even. Yeah. Off the bat, off the bat. Just, I mean, talking about that and I mean, with John, you're, you're an advocate of no door, no go, you know, oh, yeah. no loyalty in football. And just, I mean, what were your metrics of success, if you will? Like, at that point, what was... What was your aim? What was you happy with? What did you see as successful when those opportunities come to move on and potentially get more England caps? Um, staying true to your to your club. Yeah, no, I I, I always felt like um, well, firstly, I, I was happy at Southampton, and and that's kind of the most important thing for me. Um, secondly, I I always felt like I owed Southampton something. Because they were the ones that gave me my, my chance to be a professional footballer. That's all I wanted to do since I was a kid. Uh, and they gave me that opportunity. So I always felt like, you know, I, I owe them something. Um, and I didn't I didn't want to. Um, and when I say this, it sounds, it sounds a bit arrogant. But it doesn't mean to be. So I didn't want to be in a position where if I left Southampton and then they got relegated the following season, uh, I would feel guilty about that because I saw that as my football club and that's my job to keep them up. Yeah. Uh, and so had they got relegated, I think I would have felt really bad about is that. that. Is a lot of that distilled from from the team being built around you? <clears throat> that um, responsibility? No, not really. I think it was it was built with uh, uh, around the relationship I had with the fans. Yeah. So from a really early age, from the age of 17 when I made my debut, they were right on my side. So all that, all those two, three years, Chris Nichol had me on the bench all the time. They were literally singing my name from about twenty minutes into the game. If we weren't winning, they'd be singing my name, telling Chris Nichol to get me on the pitch. And they were brilliant. They were just brilliant to me. Um, and so that was a, a big reason why uh, I stayed. It's like you was like your family life and living living in this area, forgetting <laughs> football. If you if you'd have been a if you've been in banking, say, and you got offered a, a place to, to go and work in the city, was like happiness and family life and living with was that part of your yeah yeah your I, success I, range? I've, yeah, I've, I, so I didn't. I never ever played football for the money. So I didn't go into football because I wanted to be rich. That wasn't what it was all about for me. So I wanted to first and foremost, I wanted to entertain people. I wanted to show people how good I was at football. So I was a bit of a show off. Um, the like the winning side of things <laughs> seems strange for a professional footballer to say this, but the winning side of things was kind of secondary to me. I wanted to entertain people first and foremost, and then 
you know, if we won, that's a bit of a bonus. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so a bit like you'd be right up at Newcastle with Keegan, wouldn't you? Exactly. Yeah, that would have suited Lost me. Lost six five to save four. Set one up. It don't matter, does yeah. it? They've enjoyed it. They've enjoyed the game. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, I, I my I, my happiness is is what I put above money and and trophies, basically, uh, and that's why I stayed where I did. Of I, course. I nearly, I nearly joined Spurs. Yeah, I was just that was about to say that. I was going to say so. So the closest I came. Uh, was Spurs came in for me in 1990. Um, so I I spoke to Spurs. They were the only other, they were the only team I ever spoke to, representatives from Spurs. Um, I never spoke to anyone else. Obviously, I was a Spurs fan as a kid. So it was a bit of a, it was a bit of a pull. My dad was a Spurs fan. Obviously, Glenn was my hero. Um, and so he'd already left Spurs at that point. Um so I was I was interested. I was young. I was interested, uh, and I was just about to get married. So I, I you know, I was twenty one years of age, uh, and I actually spoke to spoke to Spurs, agreed a contract with Spurs, and actually signed the contract. So I, I'd signed a contract quite illegally. Uh, <laughs> so obviously, I was still on the contract with Southampton. But the plan was that that contract would then uh, be just put away in the solicitor's office and was only going to be bought out at the end of the season when the two clubs agreed a fee. So that was the plan. Um, now, as I said, I was just about to be married at the end of that season and my fiancé didn't want to go and live in London. Uh, and so that was my decision. I either joined Spurs or I got married. So I did, I got married and six years later I was divorced. Uh, <laughs> Should have gone to London. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, to this day and and... I will. I will always say this, and I mean it from the bottom of my heart. I have no regrets about making. That. I made the decision. You know, yeah. my my wife to be told me what she thought. I took that on board. I made my decision, uh, and I stick by that decision. And I don't have any regrets whatsoever about spending my whole career at Southampton. So do you know when you you've obviously signed this contract at Spurs? Yeah. Obviously, we're not interested in uh, figures at all. But so, what's your contract like that you've signed at Spurs compared to your one at? That you're on at Southampton. Now that's the interesting thing, because what I'd agreed with Southampton, uh, with Spurs, uh, when I changed my mind, my agent then went and negotiated a contract with Southampton, a new contract with Southampton. I just I won Young Player of the Year that year, so I went in and did a new contract, and it was pretty much the same as what Spurs were going to pay me, almost, hardly anything in it. It worked out. So, it, you know, back in those days, it wasn't that much. Uh, but then soon after that, it all started going, the money started to go up a little bit and the bigger clubs were paying bigger money. Uh, and so when it came to 1995, when Chelsea uh, wanted to buy me, um, I, was, I, I was on about, what was I on about there? I would have been on about uh, 1995. Probably about fifteen hundred quid a week, uh, seventeen hundred quid a week, something like that. Uh, and then Chelsea were, were going to try and buy me for about seven million quid. So, you know, the wages then would have been quite a lot different. Yeah. You know, Chelsea would have been probably looking at ten, fifteen grand a week, as opposed to like being on fifteen hundred quid a week. Um, and so that was that was quite a big difference. Uh, obviously, not. Not the same <laughs> as what you're getting now, mm. but in in that day, but it's relative, it was, isn't it? It, it is it's relative. Like, if you're on twenty grand at Southampton and Chelsea, yeah. off you're one fifty. Do you not think about mm. just going and getting a copy of that? 
contract <laughs> and, and taking it back. <laughs> yeah. So uh, there was a nice story behind that that Chelsea um, bid because Glenn Hoddle was manager of Chelsea at the time. Uh, and um, but the guy that really wanted, really liked me and wanted to get me there was Matthew Harding. I don't know if you remember Matthew. Mm. I got a stand named after him at Chelsea, uh, and he um, he was a big fan of mine. He desperately wanted me to play for Chelsea, so he was just starting to try and do a takeover of the club when Ken Bates was there, uh, and so he was quite heavily involved with financing the club. So he rang up Laurie McMenemy, who was the director of football at Southampton at the time. Uh, and he rang Laurie up and he went, uh, he went, Laurie, um, we want to buy Matt Letizia. Laurie told me this story. So, uh, so Laurie said, uh, I said to him, look, we don't want to sell him. We don't want to sell him. And the lad's happy where he is. So uh, end of conversation. And Laurie went, in fact, the only way Matt Letizia will ever be your player is if you buy Southampton Football Club. Right? <laughs> so Matthew Harding went, oh, that's a good idea. <laughs> He said, said, I could buy it, he said, and change its name to Chelsea on Sea. (laughs) So so with that, the conversation ended. Laurie put the phone down. He didn't think anything of it. And then a couple of days later, in the post, Laurie receives a cheque for seven million quid, right? Made out to Chelsea on Sea. Signed by Matthew Harding, (laughs) (laughs) and uh, and Laurie kept this cheque all this time. He put it in a in a little frame and. There it is. Oh, <laughs> so right a, on cu- a couple of years ago, um, Laurie said, I, "I've kept this all this time." He said, "But I think you you should have this because it was all about you, really." So he gave me that. You know what I've been doing? I've been changing my name. No, just I'm just going to say thank you very much, Matthew. <laughs> that's incredible. Uh, yeah, that's a, that's a quite a nice little story behind that yeah. transfer. That didn't, did you, ha- that didn't happen. <laughs> was that Glenn Oddle? Glenn was manager of Chelsea, and yeah. You so, didn't so, speak to him. So two things, two things happened with those two stories. So after I changed my mind about joining Spurs, I rang my agent up and I went, I've just changed my mind, I'm not, I'm not going. And he went, right, okay, no problem. He said, I'll let him know. He wasn't, my agent was great, but he wasn't pushy uh, at all. You know, he was, he was straight as a die. So um, he said, I'll, I'll let him know. So he rings them up and then I get a phone call five minutes later. And he went, I've told him, uh, he said, but um, Terry Venables wants to speak to you. Terry was manager of Spurs at the time. Said, Terry wants to speak to you. And I went, no, I've made up my mind. I don't want to speak to him. That was it. And then when the Chelsea thing happened, um, my agent rang me and went, you know, do, you want, do you want to join Chelsea? And I went, no. And the same thing happened. He rang me back and he went, Glenn Hoddle wants to speak to you. Now, bear in mind, Spurs fan, Glenn Hoddle's my hero. <laughs> Uh, but I'm I'm happy where I was. So uh, he rang me back, and I went. He went. Glenn wants to speak to you, and I thought I can't speak to him. I'll melt. I'll sign. I'll sign. So I just went. No, I don't want to speak to him. I made up my mind, and that was it. So then, obviously, Terry Venables went on to become <laughs> the next England manager, and then after Chelsea, Glenn went on to become the next England manager, and I fucked Pied both of them. I fucked both of them off. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't even take a phone call from him. So I probably didn't do myself any favours. <laughs> When it came to my English career, it's all coming to fruition now, really. <laughs> they all thought you're a bit of an asshole. <laughs> so was it just a straight uh, Chelsea want to, to sign you? Uh, no, or did you put the phone down and have an hour, a couple of days to think about it? Or was it just a no, not for me. Yeah, it was. It was straight no. Yeah, I didn't really think about the, the Chelsea one at all. Yeah, and the only other time that 
Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I'm looking back at it now. I'm thinking, why, why did he do this, right? But my, my agent rang me. It was like 92, 91, 92. Uh, and he rang me up and he went, uh, he said, Matt, I need, I need to speak to you. I said, all right. He said, uh, he said can you come meet me? He, he was in North London. He said, come meet me at Heathrow. He said, I need to speak to you. One of the top clubs in Europe are interested in signing you. I need to speak to you about it. So why I didn't just go, well, who is it? Just tell me over the phone. <laughs> <laughs> but I didn't. And I just went, all oh, right, okay. Yeah, no problem, I'll come. So I drove up to Heathrow uh, and uh, sat down in this hotel in at Heathrow. And he went, right, he said, one of the top clubs. Now, if I said to you, one of the top clubs in Europe want to sign you, bearing in mind this is like early 90s. Well, you're thinking Barcelona, Real Madrid straight away, aren't you? Exactly. <laughs> so... I was thinking that as well. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, I wouldn't have been thinking if the phone call off on me. Shamrock Rovers. And so he, he went, um, Liverpool are interested in signing you. And I was like, okay, I was thinking Real Madrid or Barcelona, but Liverpool's not bad. <laughs> They'd gone off the ball a little bit at that point for a couple of years. Um, but I was, like, I was like, not really, I don't really want to go. No, No disrespect. To the north of England, but I'm quite happy in the south of England, and uh, I'm quite happy where I am. So uh, I didn't even, I didn't. Even... So did it mean that Liverpool were like in the European Cup? Or no, no, because this is like in the time, the early nineties. They were not. They'd won the league in 1990 for the last time, yeah. and then they kind of went, and that was the. Then they went obviously till a couple of years back when they won the Premier League. Like they'd gone all that time without winning the Premier League, obviously. So it's, easy to, it's, well, it's probably not easy, but if it would have been Barcelona or Real Madrid, you're good at the old, no, I'm not bothered about speaking to... <laughs> yeah, I, I, I mean... The, the managers were about that. You don't know when you're in that situation until you until that's put in front of you. Um, I mean, given that I'd turned down everyone else, I probably would have turned them down, but if... But you draw... To North London, you didn't even take a fucking phone call. I know, yeah. two. <laughs> it, must, it must have been half a little. Ooh, no, then took yeah. my tan up. Yeah, uh, but yeah, no, I, I don't know. I don't know. That would be that would have been Real Madrid or Barcelona playing in the New Camp or the Bernabeu. Going back, to Alan Ball. Yeah, were you, obviously you were his boy. Did he used to let you off with stuff? Uh, his yeah, his man management of me was brilliant. Um, <laughs> for you, for me. I mean, I've got to be honest. A few of the other lads didn't like him very much <laughs> because if you were if you were a good player, he he kind of, he respected you and and he he gave you a bit of leeway. Um, I, I, I'll give you one example of this. Uh, we went to Bangor one, the preseason that he did, and he did one preseason, uh, and we went we we're in Northern Ireland, and uh, the secretary had booked our. Our trip had obviously never been to Bangor before because we were booked into a lovely hotel, but it was right next door to the biggest nightclub in Bangor. <laughs> As you boys know, uh, pre-season trip with a nightclub right next door to the hotel is not a great idea. Uh, and after stock the... up on the Malibu. <laughs> coming in. Absolutely. And after the second, after the second game, Baldy gave us the day off. So we could do whatever we wanted within reason. So we were going to go and play golf. And we were waiting in reception at 11 o'clock that morning. And uh, Gaffer comes down and says, right, lads, what are you doing? So we're going to play golf, Gaffer. Said, Taxi beer in about 20 minutes. He went, oh, he said, there's a little bakery just around the corner. He said, do you fancy a bit of breakfast before you go? Said, oh, yeah, that'd be nice. So the five of us walk around to this bakery. As we get there, Baldy notices that the pub across the road has just opened. And he looked back at us, he went, never mind breakfast. He said, do you fancy a drink? <laughs> we're like, 
Well, it'd be rude not to. <laughs> Can't turn him down. So we went, yeah, all right. So anyway, we, we went for a drink and needless to say, we never played golf that day. <laughs> and seven hours later, we came out of the pub. Yeah, four of us walking not too bad because we were finely tuned athletes who could take our alcohol. Uh, and me. Uh, <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> And no, bless him, Bawley, he was only little, right? He didn't take his drink that well. He's pissed as a fart. So we walk back to the hotel. The four of us go into reception. We turn right into the into the restaurant to meet the rest of the lads for our evening meal. Gaffer comes in. He, go, he don't go to the restaurant. He's gone left. He's gone upstairs, bed, pissed. Brilliant. Now, I was the captain at this point. So I've gone in the restaurant. I've got lads. I said, you're not going to believe it. I said, for the last seven hours, we've been in the pub with the gaffer. Best thing is, he's pissed and he's gone to bed. We can go out. <laughs> so we, we did about nine or ten of us went out, a few silly drinking games as you do. And inevitably we ended up coming back to this biggest nightclub in Bangor right next to our hotel. The DJ in the nightclub was obviously a massive football fan because he recognised us all as we were coming into the club and he was introducing us <laughs> one by one <laughs> over his microphone. It's like <laughs> uh, but what we didn't realise at this point in the evening is that Paulie's bedroom backed immediately onto the nightclub. And the walls weren't that thick. He could hear every word the DJ had been saying. <laughs> so we'll be... He didn't even have to find out of anybody. He's just laying in bed. He's writing these names right. down as he's coming in. <laughs> so when we start rolling in about 2.30 in the morning into the hotel, he stood in reception waiting for us, right, because he knows, he knows where we are. So he's waiting for us in reception. And uh, obviously, as I said, I was the captain at the time, so I thought it was only fair and my responsibility that I should be the one that came in last. <laughs> and when I rolled in about three o'clock in the morning, uh, I was greeted by one of the funniest sights I think I ever saw in my career. It was our gaffer at five foot four, giving the biggest bollocking of his life to our goalkeeper, Dave Besant, six foot four. <laughs> <laughs> and anyway, he must have spotted me under Bez's armpit or something because he sent all the other lads off to bed. He went, you, he said, I want to worry you upstairs now. Well, I can't tell you how quickly I sobered up in that situation. <laughs> all sorts of things were going through my mind, like two-week fine, captain, so you get taken off me, all that shit. Wife, wife thought I was in bed four hours ago, all that. <laughs> and he took me upstairs to the first floor of this hotel. And, uh, and I went, you know, in those hotels by the lift, you get a nice little sofa. I'd always wondered what that was there for. <laughs> I found out that night, he went, fucking sit there. So I sat down on this sofa and he comes sit next to me. He went, look, he said, I've just had to give a massive bollocking to Dave Besant, Ian Dowie, Jim Magilton, he said, they're my senior professionals. He said, and they're setting a bad example to the young kids in my team. He said, and you, you're the captain. He said, but the way you're playing, he said, you can do whatever you want to get yourself to bed. <laughs> <laughs> now that is man management for you. Let me tell you, I got 30 goals that season. He knew what he was doing. <laughs> but that goes back to what earlier. You're not bothered what your players are doing yeah. if they're performing. Exactly. Yeah. exactly. I was doing it for him on the pitch and that was what was important. <laughs> would, he have, would he have come down on you if you weren't doing it? You know, if you had a few games where you were off it, would he? Um, he probably would have given me a bit of leeway. He would have given me a few more than a few games. You must have shipped some... Uh, some Malibu if you've gone from morning to oh, yeah. three o'clock. That, that was a proper session, yeah. It was a good effort. It was a good effort. I drink Malibu all day. Honestly, it's like weak as anything, isn't it? It's like half the strength of vodka. It is like drinking pop. <laughs> Just going back to the, 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 the England stuff again, the 98, when you're playing the England B team and scoring a trick, yep. you must have 
been like, what have I got to, what have I got to do here? <laughs> Surely. Um, yeah, <laughs> that was an interesting one because um, that was probably, that game against Russia B at Loftus Road was probably the best 90-minute game of football I ever had in my career. It was the best performance I ever had. Admittedly, Russia weren't a great team. They were quite young. They weren't. They weren't great. But there was also other players on that pitch. I think Les Ferdinand, I think, played. Darren Anderton might have played. I'm just trying to think who else played in that game. Uh, but there were certainly two or three of the other lads that played in that game who did go to the World Cup, who didn't shine in that game. Um, but yeah, I, I scored the hat trick. Um, I actually hit the post and hit the crossbar that game as well. Honestly, it was the best 90 minutes I've ever had. I felt like I could have done anything with the ball that night. And everything just kind of fell my way. Um, so at the end of that game, uh, I didn't really assume that that was enough to get me in the World Cup squad because I knew uh, that they were going to pick a squad to go to La Manga of 30. Uh, and then out in La Manga, that squad would be trimmed down to 23. So what I did feel like after that night is that I felt like I'd done enough to make the squad of 30, mm. which will give me a chance to go out to La Manga and prove that I'm, you know, valuable enough to, to take to the World Cup. So then at the end of the season, uh, I, I went back to Guernsey for a, for a few days uh, to see my family back there once the season had finished. Uh, and it was there, I was sat at my brother's house. Um, I think it was sat outside in the garden. Uh, my bro- I remember my brother coming out and he went, the squad's just been announced. Uh, the squad of 30 just been announced for La Manga. He said, you're not in it. And I just went, Okay. Better book holiday now then. <laughs> well, it is, well, you're not blase, but you're like, oh, all right then. Oh, well, you're not like, really. Was, it was a bit of a, it, it was, it, yeah, it was a bit of a. Put another <laughs> sausage on that barbecue. Fuck yeah, it. you're not wrong. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was, it was a bit of a blow. I must, uh, you know, there's not too many things that kind of I let get me down. Um, but that, that decision there, not to be involved in the thirty, given kind of the way I'd finished the season at Southampton as well, it wasn't just that that B game. Um, I'd scored a lot of goals for Southampton in the in the back end of that season, so I had a really strong finish to the season. Um, so to not and I, and I kind of knew the worst bit about it was that I was twenty nine at that point, so I kind of knew that that was my last chance yeah. to go to a World Cup, uh, and that was the worst bit about it all. It's mm. kind of that realization that you know, as a kid, I wanted to be a footballer, I wanted to play for England, I want obviously I want to play a World Cup. Uh, and that was the moment where it was just like, you're never going to play in a World Cup. Mm. Um, so that was that, that was a huge disappointment to me. And probably looking back on my career at Southampton, that probably had more of an effect on me than I realised at the time because I never, after that season, I never really reached the heights again that I was that I was reaching in those seasons previous to that. Did you think it would be you, you or Gaza that would go? Cool? Well, so when he went, yeah, that that was my initial reaction. So I kind of, I kind of thought, oh well, you know, he's going to take Gaza. He doesn't think me and Gaza can be in the same team, uh, whatever. And then he goes to La Manga, the squad gets trimmed down to twenty three, and and Gaza's not in the twenty three either. Um, and that's when I was like, geez, what's he? What? Why is he? He's not even taking Gaza, and he's not taking me. Uh, and instead. You know, we went with the creative midfielders of Rob Lee and Dave Batty and people like that. And that's no disrespect to those two guys because they do a job for the team. But in terms of the creative side mm-hmm. of things, there wasn't a huge amount 
uh, of creativity. You know, that obviously uh, Bex was there. But I, I thought, you know, at least one of us would have gone. Because if you've got a squad of 23, there's going to be three or four players at least, I would say, out of that squad that during a World Cup won't even get a minute on the pitch. They're just carrying the bags. Um, and so why wouldn't you have in that 23 as many people who could change a game than you could possibly want? Um, because if the games are tight in World Cups, you need people who can do something a little bit different. Yeah. And me and Gazza could do something a little bit different. You know, And there were players in that squad who couldn't really do something so different that it was going to change the course of a game. Um, so that was, yeah, that was a, a huge disappointment to me. One of the, probably one of the biggest, biggest blows of my career was not getting in that 98 World Cup squad. You think a lot of managers were struggling to work out where to play you? Because yeah. every England manager in my lifetime up until Southgate have been rigid, like stubborn with the formation. 4 4 like playing Scalzi on the, on uh, the left. Yeah, do you know yeah. what I mean? Would you think that had played a part? Uh, quite possibly. Um, so I think it was, it was, probably difficult for them to justify doing for England what Alan Ball was doing for Southampton. You know, Alan Ball could do it at Southampton because I think he had, you know, players around me that were willing to do my work, if you like, and and be accepting of the fact that when they get the ball, that's who they got passed to. Um, when you then go up a level and you're, playing with really top-class players. Um, no disrespect to my Southampton teammates. Um, <laughs> but it would probably be a lot more difficult to convince those top-draw players that we're going to build a team around this one player and you lot will go pass to him whenever you can. So, you know, you wouldn't expect that. So it would have been probably difficult for a manager to think, where can I fit him into my team? Um but I think the, the last the last game I played for England was uh, the Italy game in the World Cup qualifier in 97 where we lost 1-0 and Zola scored. Um, uh, and in that game, I just played off. Of, we had 4-4-2 four, 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 essentially, but I was just playing off of Alan Shearer. Um, and that was probably the only position really that an England manager could try and find for me, even though it wasn't really, wasn't really my strong point being a, a second centre forward. Is that the game your brother got stitched up with? The- yeah. Yeah, yeah, that was a. Uh, so, my brother got accused of leaking the England team. <laughs> I mean, it, it wasn't a, it wasn't a great start to the day when Glenn Hoddle, Glenn Hoddle pulled me in after training and went, "I need a word with you about your brother." I was like, I'm on. <laughs> my brother? "You don't even know my brother. What are you talking about my brother for?" <laughs> and so. Uh, so apparently what had happened is one of the national newspapers had printed what they thought was the England team uh, for the game that night uh, and somebody had gone to my brother and gone, here's the, my brother was a bit naive, but he's, my, the reporter has gone to my brother and gone, here's the England team for tonight's game. Isn't it great that Matt's in the team? And my brother obviously went, oh, it's in the paper, so I can talk about it. So he went, oh, yeah, it's brilliant. So he was so proud of him, blah, blah, blah. And then to go back and he's basically just confirmed that, that, that I am in the team, <laughs> but thinking that, oh, the team's out. Everyone knows what the team is anyway. Yeah. So so my brother gets a load of stick, but really um, I kind of found out a little bit later that one of the players that wasn't in the starting 11 was a bit pissed off 
and had given the team to a journalist the night before and he put it in the paper. So it wasn't my brother that leaked the team. It was one of the subs who was a bit pissed off. Found, it, found a fall guy. And, and they found a fall guy in, in my brother for it. My, <laughs> I think yeah. it's a great story, though. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, yeah, seven years of mental health counselling and my brother's right now, so it's fine. <laughs> you can laugh about it. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least you can take away from that 98 situation that, you, I mean, other than scoring six goals, there's nothing, nothing else you could have possibly done. No, no. I, I was, I, I, exactly. I couldn't, well, I couldn't have done any more that night. As I said, it was the best 90-minute performance of, of my career. Um, and so, yeah, if that wasn't good enough for the manager, that was out of my hands. Mm. Just sad as well that you, like you say, you didn't reach the heights again after that. that yeah. had that much of an effect on you. Yeah, yeah, it did, uh, and that's kind of when the the, the injury started. Uh, I think I broke my arm or shattered my elbow joint about in pre-season the following year, so I missed a that nine, no, oh no, that, that was the um, that was the start of that season, the ninety seven ninety eight season. I shattered my elbow, so I'd had a poor start of the season. Because I was injured, and then I finished it strong with scoring a lot of goals at the back end. Um, but then the following season was when I started getting, I started, I was getting old, and I started getting <laughs> calf strains and hamstring strains, which I'd never really had before. You know, I could, I think I had one pulled hamstring in the first like ten years of my career, and that that was it. Uh, you know, the, I mean, I might have gone over my ankle a couple of times, but nothing. Nothing serious, and then from that '98 season on, it was just like one thing after another: calf, hamstring, quads. It was always it was always a muscle injury. So I kind of got. I mean, I retired when I was 33, and I kind of got away with, I think, a lot of wear and tear from joints and things. So my knees are good, and my ankles are good, uh, and it was just the soft tissue injuries that kind of put an end to me in the end. When yeah. was it that you told uh, Hoddle to fuck off then? <laughs> uh, that was when he came to Southampton as manager after the England job. He came to Southampton about a year and a bit after. What did you think of him before that? You know, when before he left you out altogether, what did you think of him? Did you get on all right? And was he no, a good, good manager? Odd. He was a bit odd. Never meet your heroes. Yeah, it was a bit like that. Or highly enjoyable. It was a bit like that. <laughs> yeah. He, he wasn't a very wasn't a very warm person. He was a very welcoming person. Given that it was kind of pretty highly publicised during my career that I was a Spurs fan and yeah. he knew he knew he must have known that he was my hero because yeah. it was in the papers or you know I, I've never hidden that fact from anybody um, and so he would have known but he just there was just nothing there no relationship he, he wasn't a he wasn't a man manager brilliant coach brilliant coach for a manager I think he was in my nine managers I had at Southampton and Terry Venables as well. I think Glenn was the best manager at picking a formation and a team to exploit the opposition's weaknesses. Tactically, he was, was brilliant, but no man management skills at all. He just wasn't a person's person. Um, and that was that was pretty sad for me, you know, because I wanted to have a... I wanted to have a nice relationship with him. Uh, and, you know, he, he actually went out of his way at Southampton, as manager at Southampton, kind of went out of his way to pick on me in training, 
which I'd never really experienced before. Um, you know, players would make mistakes in training, nothing would get said. Like, I'd misplaced one pass and he'd be fucking right on my back. And I just thought, this is a bit weird. Why, why is it, why just me? Uh, and, and in the end, well, in the end, I, I snapped and, and I did. I turned around and told him to fuck off and get off my case. Uh, and I, that wasn't me at all. I never did that to any other manager, even if they dropped me, not to Ian Bramford, nobody, because I had respect for my managers. Mm. But I lost all respect for him um, as a manager. Uh, and that was, yeah, because he singled me out. Yeah, you think that's because and, you were Mr. I, Southampton and he was the manager. No, so what? I, what I think it was, and I don't know this, and I don't know if he'd ever admit to this, but throughout my career, <clears throat> I was always compared to him. So there was a lot of comparisons to the way that we played, you know, the, the range of our passing, the spectacular goals from outside the box. And obviously people knew he was my hero and that's who I based my game on, you know. And I don't think he liked having somebody compared to him. So well, I think he thought... Much higher. He thought he's up there and I'm down here. Why are they comparing him to me when I'm so much better than him? Now, I don't know if he'd ever admit to that, but that's the feeling that I got from my relationship with Glenn Hoddle. Do you, have you worked with him on telly? Like you've been sat in the studio with him at any point? or I was... No, been on a few golf trips with him there. Um, in yeah. fact, we actually, we ended up, uh, we went to Dubai on a, on a golf trip about, oh, blimey, this must be 14 years ago now, I reckon. Must be. So... I hadn't really seen him very much from the day that he left Southampton as manager to to when we go on this golf trip in, in Dubai. It was, a, it was a footballer's golf classic thing. So you have like one footballer in each team of four players, three other corporate guys. Uh, and so one morning I, I went down to breakfast uh, and he was sat there at breakfast on his own with his mates. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, Do you know what? After all these years, I think it's about time we kind of just... So I thought, yeah. And I thought, you know, he, he, he's my hero. And I literally, I, I went to sit with him uh, and, I, and I, I was almost like choking up. I was like really emotional because um, this guy was my hero. So I sat there and I went, Glenn, I said, I, it's been a long time since Southampton and, you know, I, I, I wanted to apologise for the way that perhaps I behaved at Southampton, you know, in... in you know, when I told you to fuck off and I said, uh, you know, it was probably frustration on my part and I wanted to to just apologise to you and, you know, you know that you were my hero as a kid, loved you as a football player and I just wanted to to apologise. And uh, so the response that I was expecting was <laughs> what any most normal human beings in that situation would be, might have gone, do you know what, maybe I wasn't, uh, you know, maybe I need to apologise as well for the way that I was with you. I'm still waiting for that apology. <laughs> you know, I did my best. I did my best. Again? I tried. I tried really hard. Uh, and they've got a fucking boiled leg on his I'm still waiting. <laughs> so that, that's kind of... Uh, but I've seen Glenn at golf days now, and he does. He, he actually comes and talks to me now and says hello. And, and I think the experience that he went through a few years ago with his ticker, uh, I think that may have... Um, may have just made him a different person, I think, because I've seen person. I've seen a better person since that incident. Yeah. 
There you yeah, go. No, he still hasn't apologised. He's getting a fucking. <laughs> <laughs> you remember the exact response? Was it a uh, thanks? Yeah, <laughs> it pretty much. It pretty well. It, it pretty much was. Uh, yeah, no problem. Apology accepted. <laughs> <laughs> now fuck off off my table. <laughs> I'm having a quiet breakfast on me. <laughs> The tea time is just about um, <laughs> off you go. So yeah, that was interesting. <laughs> Quick breaking play for our friends at VPN. Nord VPN, may I add, the number one VPN service that's out there. If you're not aware what the VPN is, it's got military. I've heard military standard security. VPN, so you can essential protect, in this day and age, oh, isn't it? Protect all your bank details, your passwords, ups your security, and not just that, you can you can bounce your geolocation. So we've said this before, aren't we? You can you can get on Netflix, for instance. In on that, Chrissy, sorry. Go on. You can get the Mexico Netflix, and it's cheaper than the British one. Oh, see, so that's that's saving you money right there. Yeah, I can imagine there's a lot of cartel stuff on yeah, there. Yeah, but and we've talked about it before your, your your football matches. So if there's a, a game you want to watch and it's, it's being broadcast in a different country, you can use your VPN, pop over there and you can watch that match. You're all over it, aren't you, John? I, I, every time I see your, your stories, you're watching a different game. <laughs> Never watched so much footy, have you? No, honestly. I, I, the only football I didn't watch was Liverpool, like, Liverpool and that this, this weekend. <laughs> Went to the foreign stuff now. <laughs> but it's the fastest VPN in the world. Yeah, there's no lagging, no buffering. No buffering as well. No buffering. We don't do none of that buffering at NordVPN. And as always, there's a link in the description. And with the link, you can sign up and get a 30-day free trial. How about that? So you can just test it out. Just get out on. of curiosity, the Mexican uh, Netflix, it's not in Mexican, is it? No, no. Still in English. <laughs> oh, yeah, you yeah. Just do, yeah. Obviously, I know that. I'm just thinking for people yeah, for everybody else. So the, 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 yeah, answering the questions before they're asked, John. Yeah. You're all right. One Sorry, step ahead. to learn Mexican, aren't you? Just say fucking one ninety nine a month on Netflix. <laughs> To watch their Coronation Street. <laughs> I well, imagine their Coronation Street's a lot more exciting than ours. <laughs> well, the link's in the description, as always, and you can get that 30-day free trial. How about that? It's thank a good us. offer, isn't it? It's thank a good us offer. later. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. And the managers, after Alan Ball, does that, that mantra continue with building the team around you? What was really strange is that um, the next manager after Alan Ball was Dave Merrington. Uh, Dave was my youth team coach at Southampton. He is the guy that I credit with having the biggest influence on my career. He was amazing. As a youth team coach, he was unbelievable. The the values that he instilled in us, the the work ethic, the, the morals that he instilled in us, the mental strength that he instilled in us um, was something that I'll be eternally grateful for. And he was brilliant. He was the one that was pushing Chris Nickel to get me in the first team because uh, he recognised that I had something that, that a lot of other players didn't have. Um, and he was brilliant for me. So bearing that in mind, I would have I would have expected Dave to have continued 
what Alan was doing. He'd, he'd been at the club. He'd seen how I'd been playing for the last two years, having that free role. Um, uh, but we started off the season and uh, it, the first few results weren't very good. And he kind of panicked a little bit and went back into a four four two kind of thing, which you know didn't really suit me. Um, uh, and so that season was a was a bit of a, a disappointment. Um, it's one of them, and it's not suiting anybody that he's not no. getting the best out of you. No, and the team are going to be struggling because you don't want to play in that position. Yeah. Yeah, so that was that was a big disappointment that it didn't work out better with with Dave, given how how highly I thought of him as my youth team coach. It was Sooners when he came in. Sooners was an interesting one because he um, obviously his reputation goes before him. Yeah. So you know we'd heard from as you do with, with with your mates around the game, we'd heard of what he was like as a manager and how fiery he was, and um, but he just had his heart bypass he had a quadruple heart yeah. bypass operation so he was obviously on a lot of tablets which kept him nice and calm <laughs> so, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so when he was at us for that season he was actually he was actually quite quite calm um and uh but again you know we didn't have, we stayed up on the last day of that season as well actually just then we got we got beat at Aston Villa on the last day and and still stayed up because other results went our way so we were quite lucky um but yeah it was uh it, it, he brought in actually some some good players to the club uh amongst those good signings we also um played Ali Deer uh, who was George Ware's cousin for uh, <laughs> for a few minutes in a in a Premier League game which was Another interesting one, and that, that was Graham's legacy at Southampton Football Club. Do you remember I, I got duped by George Ware's cousin. Do you remember him? Did you see him in training before? Yeah, he trained with us, honestly. And I, I, I'm watching him in training, and I'm thinking, has he won a competition to come and train with us or something? Like, he was crap, honestly. You know, players know when a player can play. Yeah. Uh, and I'm watching him and going, he's not a player. Not a player. Uh, and so, anyway, we, we trained for a couple of days leading up to this game against Leeds. And then. We rock up at the Dell, up past one Saturday afternoon, sat in the change room, and he sat in there. And we're like, okay, now that was a good competition. He's going to get to where the team talk and <laughs> So anyway, Suey so comes in and he names the team and then he goes substitutes. Blah, blah, blah and Ali Deer. We were like that. What? Right, have we got some kind of injury crisis here that we don't know about? So anyway, he sat on the bench and after about uh, half an hour, he comes on as a, as a run around, misses an absolute sitter. Right? <laughs> he completely missed his kick in front of the goal. Runs around for a bit, couldn't trap a bag of cement. And uh, eventually Graham soon as he's had enough and he, he substitutes him. So he, he came on as a sub and then he got substituted. <laughs> and then we never, ever saw him again after that. <laughs> he disappeared it might have garden he was he was he was staying in a hotel uh, and even the, the people at the hotel went oh he's just fucked off he hadn't paid his bill or anything so he left <laughs> the, the, the bill on pay just gone took all shampoo with him and slippers so <laughs> so the bloke who is uh, renowned as probably the worst player ever to play in the Premier League um, is obviously one of ours at Southampton and uh, the worst bit about it was the bloke that he came on for as a sub was fucking me <laughs> So that's not, that's not embarrassing at all. <laughs> so, yeah, that was, uh, that was interesting times. Did he say anything after the game? Or was it just embarrassment? No, just, just embarrassment, just I think. Get us out of here. Just embarrassment. It was just weird. It was just bizarre. I mean, you couldn't get away with that in this day and age, could you? I mean, no. you couldn't do that in this day and age. There'd be, you know, 
more checks and balances going on than just some bloke rocking up for a trial. But that, that's what used to happen back in the in the nineties. We used to get these random guys turn up for for a trial from and we're like, who's this geezer? Like I was, <laughs> He's playing in like the seventh division of non-league, but we thought he was quite good. He can come and have a troll. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and and we had uh, we had a when Egil Oshenstad came, actually we had two Norwegians come at the same time, two centre forwards, uh, and we couldn't afford both of them. And we wanted to sign both, but we couldn't afford them both, so we had to choose between one or the other. So we signed Egil Oshenstad, uh, and the other one that we didn't sign. Um, was Torrey Andre Flo. Yeah. Did he go to Chelsea then instead of... Did all right as well, didn't he? Yeah. <laughs> and another one that came uh, on trial to Southampton as a youngster um, was uh, a mate of mine who I'd played football against since we were 10 years of age, uh, was Graham Lasso. So Graham came to Southampton, had a trial. Chris Nickel went, no, not good enough. He went to Chelsea, signed for them. <laughs> How did you get on with Carlton? Uh, eventually, we got on all right. <laughs> the first few months were a bit interesting. <laughs> <laughs> it's fair to say me and Carlton didn't see eye to eye when he first arrived. Initially. Um, yeah, and I don't. I mean, it was probably my fault um, to a certain extent uh, because I, I think on one of his very first days in training, I was on the same side as him in a five-a-side match. And, uh, and I, I wasn't always the, the best trainer in the world. And uh, obviously in this five-a-side game, I'd given the ball away quite cheaply and then hadn't bothered to track back and try and win it back. So I just stood up, <laughs> stood up the top of the pitch. And Carlton, Carlton runs back and <coughs> tackles his geezer and then stands up and, goes, and he starts digging me out in training for not running back. Uh, and I just looked at him and I went, Carlton, you haven't been here very long, have you? I said, <laughs> what happens here is... <laughs> Is the players that can play, <laughs> they play, and your job is to go and fetch the ball and give it to me. <laughs> I can imagine that like a dagger in that his went down. That went down like a lead balloon. So for about the next two months, he barely spoke to me. <laughs> and then eventually we kind of found a bit of common ground. I started going out a bit in Salamander. He liked to drink. And I'll tell you what it was, though. I've never known anybody in my life who could drink the way that Carlton Palmer drank have as little sleep as he had, still turn up to training the next morning and be the first in the running. It was unbelievable. It's, a, it's an art, isn't it? It is an unbelievable. Underrated. I mean, you could do like a 12-hour session on the beer, have like two hours sleep, rock up for training. I've had like 11 hours sleep and he leaves me for dead. <laughs> How does he do that? It's some kind of freak of nature is what he was. And I've got to tell you, for the first six to nine months at Southampton, I reckon, I mean, I played against Carlton quite a lot, but I reckon that first six or nine months at Southampton was probably about the best I saw him play in his career. It was brilliant for us the first six or nine months. Really was. You know, and then it kind of, I don't know if the drink caught up with him, <laughs> the partying caught up with him a little bit. He kind of went off the ball. And I don't know, I don't know what it was, um, but he kind of lost, he lost what he had for that first six or nine months and he, and he kind of went off the ball and... Um, and, and that's actually when we started getting on a bit better. <laughs> well, well, we, were both, far, we were both going out. <laughs> you were far behind him the yeah. next day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was, it was interesting. I loved it. I, I, I remember having a, a 
we were doing this thing on the bus as you as you did back in the day like we we're on a long coach journey to somewhere everywhere's a long coach journey from southampton and uh we're on our way up north and we're just having a chat on the bus and it's one of those conversations where you go go on him so uh if you want a million quid tomorrow what would you do with it so we're having this conversation and we're going ah, buy a nice house buy a nice house and uh, you know what's coming, I've don't you? I've got a feeling. I've got a feeling. <laughs> so we're all going, yeah, cars, holidays. And uh, it gets around to Carlton. Carlton, what would you do? He went, I'd put it with the other three. <laughs> 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 and I was like, you twat. <laughs> I like it. Though. That's exactly yeah. what I thought I'd come in. I didn't even three it's or two. two. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that's just how he is. I think if you, oh, yeah, it's great. I, I, we we get on fine now, uh, you know. But I, we did have a, a little period because I, I used to do this thing, <laughs> this thing in my after dinner speech, um, <laughs> where, I, I mean, it, it's not it's not nice, but it was tongue in cheek, right? And and I think Colin kind of took it a bit personally when he really shouldn't have done. It. I was only just pissing about. But in my after dinner speech, when I talk about England. Uh, and I'll go, and I and I say something like, um, uh, uh, Matt Letitia, what was that? Matt Letitia got eight, eight caps for England. Carlton Palmer, eighteen caps. And we wonder why we haven't won anything since nineteen sixty six. I did that. She said it was just a mess about, throw about line, just messing about. And somebody obviously who knew Carlton was at one of my speeches. And he rings up Carlton and goes, "You know what Matt Letitia said about you?" And Carlton was like, being Carlton, what was he So he then goes on Soccer AM, absolutely slaughters me on Soccer AM, does a book, slaughters me in his book, oh. uh, and, and just going. I got my career was better than Matt Letizia's. What did he ever achieve? He did he underachieve? And I was like, fuck, Carl, I was only joking. Fucking hell. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? You don't have to go slaughtering me on telly and in your book. Uh, and then he obviously had his, his uh, problem with his ticker a few years back. And uh, I, I just messaged him and, you know, and we started talking again. And he's, he's good as gold now. It was funny. Seems to be the way forward, doesn't it, for assholes, that? I'm a bit of a ticker and you turn into a lovely guy. Exactly, yeah. I wish sweating up a way off, okay? <laughs> can you speak much about the, the, the spread bet thing? Yeah, I can speak about that. It's fine. I don't, don't work for Sky anymore, so that matter. Um, yeah, uh, that was that was Gordon Watson's fault. That was Flash's fault. Um, I'd never really heard of spread betting. Uh, to be honest, yeah, I, I'd like, I had a bet in the back in the day. I mean, we were allowed to back in the day. I know, I, I, think, well, I can't remember when it changed, but I used to go, there used to be a bookies about 300 yards from the Dell. And I used to go in there before before the game on a Saturday and back myself to score the first goal. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was quite good odds actually at the time. Um, but nobody batted an eyelid. Do you know what I mean? As long as you weren't betting on your team to lose. Yeah. No one batted an eyelid if you were backing yourself to score or back your team to win. So anyway, I used to, used to do that. And then Flash Carton, he went, he said, oh, he said, you're at spread betting. I went, no, I haven't got a clue. He went, well, you can bet on anything now. He said, you can bet on corners, free, when the first free kick's going to be, when the first throw-in's going to be. I was like, all right. And, uh, <laughs> and he went, well, he said, my mates have got spread betting accounts. He said, uh, he said, we're on telly against Wimbledon next week he said and they can bet on the first throw in in the game he said and if you you know if we get a throw in really early they'll make loads of money from it he said they'll probably drop you a few quid <laughs> so I was like how does that work he went well we just have to get the kick off he said and we get the kick off and from kick off you just 
boot the ball out of play. So <laughs> like, well, that sounds pretty simple. He went, it is simple. He said, he said but the bookies are stupid. What are they, what are they doing that for? So, so anyway, all we had to do was obviously get the, make sure we had kickoff. So we get the sellers part where Wimbledon were playing. I think Vinnie Jones was the captain. And uh, so I've gone, I've gone to Vinnie before the game. I've gone, so Vinnie, what, what way do you like to kick in the second half? And he went, oh, he said, we, you know, we like to kick towards our fan at that end. And uh, <laughs> I went, all right. He said, I, you can kick that way in the second half if you let us have kickoff in the first half. And he went, yeah, all right. So that was it. Like before we'd even flipped the coin, I knew we was having the kickoff. So, so anyway. It's working out quite well, this. Yeah, I know, yeah. So we get the kickoff. Gordon rolls the ball back to me. And now it's live on telly. So I don't want to, I don't want to overhit this ball. You know, Not because, too obvious. because it's too obvious, you know, and I, and I think I'm quite a good player. I can just clip this over Neil Shipley's head, make it look realistic. <laughs> so the ball comes to me. And just as I'm about to strike it, it just takes a little bobble. Right. And at that point, my heart sank because right from the moment I hit it, I thought, fuck it, that ain't enough. <laughs> Not enough club. <laughs> that ain't enough club. That ain't enough club. I've duffed that a little bit. <laughs> and this is never reaching the touchline. So it goes straight at Ships. And, and Ships is obviously, what can he do? <laughs> it goes, hits Ships, goes back into play. And honestly, for the next 60 seconds, you see me and Gordon Watson running around like blue-ass flies trying to get the ball, <laughs> fucking boot out of play. Because otherwise they're losing a the fortune if this carries so on. So it's just got to be in the first minute. So it had to be the it had to be before sixty seconds for them to make money, and the the more before it was sixty seconds, the more money they make. Right. If it goes after seventy five seconds, every second after seventy five seconds they start losing money. So that can add up quite quick. Uh, and we managed to get the ball out, I think, between sixty and seventy five seconds, which was that dead period where nobody won and nobody <laughs> lost. <laughs> so it was a lesson. Well learned. And <laughs> I did not do that again. I can uh, imagine Flash wanted to do it again, though. He probably did, but <laughs> I wasn't up for that after that experience. That was that was not a nice experience. And then, and then I probably was a bit naive because I told that story in my book. I, I wrote a book and put the story in there as a warning, really, to other players to go, don't be such a twat <laughs> like I was uh, and don't do stupid things like this. Um, uh, and with that, somebody in talk sport got hold of it. I think it was the, the little short fella. Uh, Mike Parry, uh, he decided that he was going to do an entire afternoon's program on on that story and that I should be banned from all football uh, and ostracised from the game because I told this story in uh, in my book. When basically I was telling it as a as a lesson for people to go, don't be don't be an idiot. Yeah, I don't, yeah. Uh, but he decided that this was a newsworthy story and he was going to make an entire radio show out of it, and uh, I had to. Have a couple of weeks off of Sky while it all died down, down <laughs> well, a little bit. Calm down. Yeah, <laughs> calm down, calm down. Uh, so, yeah, that was fun. Uh, don't try that at home, kids. Don't do, don't do that. Don't have underclubbed. <laughs> have it a complete duff and it's <laughs> way short. <laughs> I think we, before we finish up, we've got to mention um, the, the penalties because obviously Mark, Mark Crossley. Uh, Speaks about every time I play golf him on a Thursday morning. It's a badge of honour. How many? How many was it altogether? Uh, I took forty-eight. One missed. Just the one. Saved actually, not missed. (laughs) (laughs) There's a difference. Same place or no? I'm not not sure if there'd have been as much video analysis back then, with which way the keepers dove and all that. Or Uh, to be honest, I I never. Took any notice of what the other, what the goalkeeper where the goalkeeper dived. I never looked into that ever. So 
um, I just had uh, a lot of faith in my ability to be able to side foot the ball quite powerfully into one corner or the other. Uh, and I know that if I'm fairly accurate and I got enough pace on the ball that 47 times out of 48 will go in. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and so um, I, I'd never, I, I didn't care about the goalkeeper, frankly. Um, all, all that mattered to me was what was in front of me. Uh, and the one that the one that Norm saved, uh, he, he times his, he, he kind of went to go into my favourite corner and he timed it just right. So he kind of, he kind of went and at that moment I'm, I go, oh, he's going, but he only went a little bit and then he flings himself that way. So he goes, he goes and then, and he caught me just at the right time. And so I've gone there. And the worst bit about it was that he, he actually parried it straight back to me. And I was in that much shock that I'd missed a penalty that from seven yards out, I managed to put the ball over the bar with my left foot. And missing the rebound was way more embarrassing than missing the penalty, I can tell yeah. you. Um, but fair play to him. So I'm going to tell him, you got fucking lucky. He did get it lucky. Was <laughs> it was a split <laughs> second. It was all it was. It's all it was. <laughs> what was your favourite goal? Uh, favourite goal was, um, well, my best goal was the one at Blackburn, which won goal of the season. Um, 35 yards out, whipped into the top corner with a bit dip on it. Uh, Tim Flowers, no chance. Don't know why he bothered diving. <laughs> um, but that wasn't my favourite goal. So that was my best goal. But my favourite goal um, was scoring the last ever league goal at the Dell. The, that, that moment in the last minute, I think it was the 88th minute, uh, of the game against Arsenal we were drawing two all it's the last ever league game at the Dell and I hadn't scored a Premier League goal the whole season so I'd been injured quite a bit that season uh, I think I'd scored one goal in the League Cup and that was it uh, and I just kind of got back to a point where I was uh, back training with the lads but wasn't really match fit um, not that I ever was and uh, and Stuart Gray our manager said to me about four days before the game he said Look, for what you've done for Southampton Football Club, he said, you deserve to be on the pitch when the final whistle goes of the last ever league match. He said, so I'm going to make sure as manager, you're going to be sub on Saturday. And when the whistle goes, you're going to be on the pitch. So I thought, fair play. And every night I went to bed from that moment on, I was visualising how I was going to score the last goal at the Dell. And I literally was obsessed with the, with the thought of on Saturday... I want to be the last one to score a goal at the Dell. And I knew that all I needed was not even a half chance. I didn't even need a half chance. I just needed a chance of some description. And it was the weirdest feeling because I knew as long as I had one chance, I knew it was going in. There was no other, there's no, and when the ball falls to me, uh, I don't know if, you, if you've ever seen the goal, but the, the, the ball falls to me and it's a little bit behind me and I'm having to, to swivel with my left foot um, and hit it on the half volley. And I'd say if I had that chance again, I reckon there's about a one in 20, one in 30 chance that I'd do the same again. Like it was a, quite a difficult opportunity, but it was really weird because as soon as the ball dropped and I knew that I was shooting a goal, I knew that it was going in. So as soon as the ball left my foot, I literally start celebrating 
because I know it's going in. I know because of the way I've hit it that goalkeeper's got no chance and I literally start wheeling away as soon as I've hit the ball because I know it's it's on the way in. And the noise that that stadium made was like nothing else I'd witnessed in the 15 years previous to that that I'd played there. It was the most amazing moment and that's why it's my favourite goal and it was my last ever goal for Southampton. In fact, should have retired after that goal because mm. the next season I spent most of it injured, didn't score a goal. So I should have just, I should just call it quits after that one. I should have just gone, thanks very much. That'll do me. Thank you and good night. But, you know, I, I did have a testimonial the next season, so I couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't retire just yet. Was there another chance after after your goal? Yes. Uh, oh, yeah. So, that, I mean, that was in the, the 88th minute. And then we have another attack. And Chris Marsden, right? I mean, Maz is not, not renowned for his goal scoring. He hits this shot from the edge of the box. Honestly, I've never seen him hit a shot that good before. And Alex Manninger was in goal for Arsenal. And I just, he's, he's flown up to his right. He's tipped it over the crossbar. And honestly, I was like that. Thank fuck for that. <laughs> I, I literally, I, had to, I was on the right-hand side. And I had to go and take the corner over the other side. So I'm running across the 18-yard box. And, I, and I'm really stifling the urge to go and cuddle the goalkeeper. <laughs> you know, Thanks very much, mate. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, that, so anyway I, I jog across really slowly like even slower than I normally do and I start, I'm wasting as much time as possible here I put the put the ball down in the, in the quadrant and I take a couple of strides back and I think no I don't want to put this in the box <laughs> someone might head this in right? so I was like so I stood there for a few seconds thinking shit what am I going to do what am I going to do so and, and Wade Bridge was playing for us left back at the time he's, he's up on the halfway line so I kind of looked up at Bridgie <laughs> like that. So Bridgie comes running down from left back all the way down. So I just play a short one to him. And as I as I roll the ball to him, the referee goes, <laughs> blows the final whistle. I was like that, get in. Yes. <laughs> Job done. <laughs> oh, uh, brilliant. Obviously, a few controversies recently. Has there? <laughs> I hadn't noticed. Have you been surprised with the, the repercussions that it's come with? Uh, no, not really. No, I'm well aware of what the repercussions are. Um, I, I take very little notice of the repercussions, to be honest with you. Um, I think uh, the people that are criticising me, um, I, I care not really for their opinions. Um, I think a lot of them are morally bankrupt individuals uh, and quite frankly, their opinion means nothing to me. My close friends and my family know the sort of bloke I am. Uh, they know what I what I do for people, certainly in this area. Uh, they know how much good I've done, and their import their opinions are the only ones that are really important to me. So um, uh, the repercussions are seriously. I, I mean, if they realised just how little they got to me, they'd stop. Yeah, they don't. They're I'm water for ducks back. I mean, I've had fifty thousand people singing "You fat bastard" and what a big nose you've got. <laughs> do you know what I mean? <laughs> Few num- a few numbsies in the media. <laughs> what was the crack with the club? Uh, that was my decision. Was it? Yeah, yeah. I, t- I took that decision because a load of people, um, a-, a load of the uh, people who were part of the old cancel culture uh, were ringing up Southampton Football Club, sending emails, going, oh, he shouldn't be an ambassador for the football club. Uh, and the football club were good as gold. Um, you know, they've they've always been very supportive of me. Uh, and I just said to him, look, I said, I don't want you getting all that grief. Uh, so uh, I think I'll step away from the role as ambassador. I'm not I'm, I'm not employed by Southampton Football Club. 
I'm not on the payroll of Sunderland Football Club. If I do something for them, then I'll invoice them. So I don't have a weekly wage or a yearly wage from them. So it wasn't any big deal. And and I just said, look, I, I'm just going to resign as ambassador and then people will stop bothering you. Simple as that, really. What does the future hold? Whew. Who knows? What does the future hold? Are you golfing <laughs> wheels next Wednesday? Yeah. <laughs> lots of golf, I hope. Uh, <laughs> Uh, lots of golf, no um, no vaccine passports, um, <laughs> no, uh, I don't know. I, it, what's going on in the world the last couple of years has been very strange, very strange indeed. Uh, and there are some things that I think uh, are going to have a profound effect uh, on us as human beings. Um, and unless we fight back against what is trying to be taken away from us, then I think the world's going to be a worse place. Uh, and that's why uh, I've been prepared to stand up and say what I've been saying um, because I don't like uh, what is being predicted for us in the future. Um, and that's why I've been happy to, to stand up and take the flak. Um, and I'll continue to do that uh, because I stand up for what I believe in. And people uh, uh, might have a different opinion to me. Uh, and that is all well and good by me. I don't have a problem with people. I don't expect people to believe everything I say uh, because I might be wrong. I might be wrong. I'm not arrogant enough to think that I know what's right, um, but uh, I've got uh, a reasonable amount of intelligence. Um, I've got a lot of common sense. Um, and the evidence that I've seen and been presented with over the last couple of years uh, tells me that the this world is not going in a very good direction. Um, and so my opinion is that, you know, we need to, to fight back against some of the stuff that's going on. Uh, and if somebody has a different opinion, that that's fine. Um, all I ask is that they do their own research and don't automatically take for granted that it is the truth, the stuff that comes out on the mainstream media, because, um, I'm sorry, but, uh, they don't always tell you the truth on the television. Um, I mean, that might be a, a revelation to some people. At the end of the day, we don't really know what the truth is. You can believe what you want to believe, but how do you really know what's true and what's not true? Uh, and that's the the big thing for me, um, is that I like to be given both sides of the story and then I'm re I'm reasonably intelligent enough to have a look at the evidence from both sides and make up my own mind as to what I think is the is the truth uh, based on the evidence that's been provided. Now, what hasn't happened over the last couple of years is we haven't had both sides of the story. All we've been fed is one side of the story and the other side of the story is completely censored uh, and people completely cancelled, um, you know, social media accounts taken down. Uh, and I don't think that's the way a free society should behave. I think we should be able to tolerate all opinions, uh, see both sides of the story and make up your own mind about what's going on. Uh, and I will always stand up for those things. Um, and I've been misrepresented quite a lot in the media because I've been very open in saying that I don't actually believe everything that the media tells me. I have no idea what percentage of the stuff that they do say is true, uh, but I am 100% convinced that we are not told the truth 100% of the time.
and that's where, that's my position. That's where I stand, and those views will be continue to be misrepresented because the people that I'm telling you are, are not telling you the whole truth are the ones that are criticizing me. And they're going to criticize me because I don't believe them, not all the time. And that's as simple as that. Was the absence of debate, was you shocked? You know, when you initially brought up, especially within football, the connections possibly with the, all the cardiac issues. Yep. When you just bringing it up, was the absence of debate shocking to you? The fact that the absolutely, fr- I, I the believe, back? I believe that there has been a dereliction of duty from football authorities to not even want to investigate the rise in the issues of heart problems with with young, fit footballers. It doesn't make any sense. And and <laughs> I had a conversation with, with Bobby Barnes, um, who tried to tell me that actually there's no increase, it's normal. This is all normal what's happening. It's just that normally it doesn't get publicised. And I was like, well... Hang on a minute, Bobby. I went, me and you played pretty much the, you know, at the same time. You're a bit older than me, but we, we, our paths crossed. I said, uh, let me ask you a question. I said, how many players in your career that you played with or against did you see suffer a heart problem on a football pitch or on a training ground in your time in your professional career? Uh, and he took a second and he went, well, there was... Mark Vivian Foe and uh, you know, Fabrice Mamba. And I went, I'll stop you there, Bob. I said, those two were both after you retired for a start. I said, so I'll ask you again. How many? Name me. Couldn't name me one. And I went, please don't tell me that this is normal. I said, because I've got common sense. I watch a lot of football. I watch a lot of other sports. My life has been devoted to sport. I watch a lot. I play a lot said, and I've noticed what's going on. I've also noticed, by the way, the amount of football matches that are being stopped because of heart problems in the crowds this season, which nobody talks about. And they're not allowed to kind of mention that it could possibly be to do with that. Um, so, you know, I made my position clear. Uh, I still think that the PFA need to need to investigate. Uh, if it's not the PFA, then the Premier League or the FA or UEFA, FIFA, somebody needs to investigate what's going on because I'm I've not even I've not even said I've not even saying that it is definitely the vaccine that's causing it because it might be that if you've had COVID and this might be an effect of having COVID in the long term it might be it might be that but what I'm saying is you need to know one way or the other. So let's have an investigation. Asking the question should be a problem. And let's ask the question. And you should that shouldn't be a problem. Why is asking questions now deemed to be a right-wing conspiracy theory? Yeah. That's what I don't get, you know. Um, What's their current stance on it? Are they investigating or are they just completely dismissing it and not doing anything about it? I haven't it? seen anything uh, at the moment that tells me that they're looking into it, which just beggars belief, to be honest. But I think it's just, you know, as, as human beings, as all being different, all having different opinions. And that's exactly it. Everybody all, coming from different angles. But if you can't ask the questions, if you can't have a debate, then what's the world we live in? We might as well go and live in China if that's all, if that's the way we want to go. Um, and I don't particularly want to live under that regime. Um, but 
the way things are going, might not be too long before we're there. But like you said, whether you agree with what you say, what you're not, I think it's it can be quite admirable just to go against the grain and to stand up to say this is what I believe in, and I think there should be questions asked. You know, whether whether I personally believe in what you're saying or whether I believe in what you say, what you say. I, I think if you're willing to stand up and go against the grain, and what you believe, I think, like I said, should be respected. Well, I mean, it's, it is what it is. You kind of, you you believe what you want to believe. Um, and I believe that there's something a bit more sinister going on than what we're being told. Um, and I don't think asking questions about that is a particularly bad thing to do. And, and if by me asking questions makes other people go and have a look and think, oh, Oh, but what's he said about that? Maybe I'll look into that a little bit because I don't expect and I don't want and I don't expect people to believe everything that I say. Uh, all I want them to do is to think for themselves, basically, um, and do their own research. I don't think that's asking too much. Just to let you know, for 21 years, I will call all this John. Honest John in the dressing room, so you can believe everything I say. <laughs> <laughs> 21 years, honest John. <laughs> so you can fucking believe me. <laughs> well, thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks, thanks for having us uh, in your house. Yeah. Pleasure. No problem at all. Good to see you, boys. That's no, quite all right. The chicken's been well behaved. Chicken has been well behaved, yeah, hasn't <laughs> deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash Upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.